0: Good morning. In the book of Exodus, chapter 29, verse 19, it's recorded God speaking to Moses And thou shalt take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands upon the head of the ram. Then shalt thou kill the ram and take of his blood and put it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron and upon the tip of the right ear of his sons. And upon the thumb of their right hand, and upon the great toe of their right foot, and sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. When you read the book of Exodus, you will find a number of things that on the surface might seem a little strange that God commanded Moses regarding not only uh, the building of the tabernacle, the clothing of the priest. Uh, the type of offerings and the manner the offerings were to be made, the furnishings of the tabernacle. But all those things, as Brother Ronald mentioned in his opening remarks, uh, all point to a very important event that would take place in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, which would be our redemption. A number of years ago, a sister at our church, she had been reading through the Bible like I encourage our folks to do every year. And when she come across this verse, uh, she either sent me a text or asked me on Sunday, I can't remember, about what it was that God was telling Moses to do. Uh, She said, that seems very strange that God would ask Moses or tell Moses that he was to take the blood of this animal and dip his finger in it and put that blood on the right ear, the right thumb, and um, the great toe of the right foot. She says, what in the world does all that mean? I said, you know, I've read all that. I said, I've never really paused to think about it. And that um, encouraged me to uh, study what it does mean. And interesting, you'll find this uh, three times in the Old Testament. You find it here in Exodus chapter 29, where Moses is commanded to God, by God to do it. And Leviticus chapter 8, you'll find where Moses actually performs it. Right now, the command's being given. Later in Leviticus, you'll find where the commandments being done are being uh, executed. And then also in Leviticus chapter 14, when a leper would be cleansed in the land of Israel, uh, likewise, there was to be an offering to be made, and the blood of that offering was to be applied to the right ear of the leper, to his right thumb, and to the uh, uh, great toe of the right foot. So it happened to the high priest, and it would also happen to a leper. So what in the world does all that mean? Well, That's a good question, obviously, and I was thankful that sister asked because I uh, studied it and really enjoyed the, the study. Now, first of all, we find that Aaron is the very first high priest that the children of Israel had. He's not the first priest that's mentioned in the Bible. The first priest I find mentioned in the Bible is actually a man by the name of Melchizedek. who That's the priesthood that the Lord Jesus Christ fought. The Bible makes it very clear in Psalm 110, uh, the Lord says, God the father of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, hath thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, His priesthood is different than the priesthood of Aaron. Uh, He followed a different order of priesthood. But in the children of Israel's journeyings uh, as they leave the land of Egypt, and they're gonna go into the land of Israel, and that's where they're going to dwell, and that's where God intends them to be uh, throughout their experience. uh, Obviously, he gives them a law about where they're to worship, and how they're to worship and who it is who's to lead them to worship. And I don't understand everything that God commanded them. I just know this, they were supposed to do it exactly like God said. Now, God has given us commandment here in the New Testament how we're supposed to worship him. I may not understand everything about why God has told me to do it this way. I just know this, I better do it the way that God has told me to do it. He didn't tell me I have to understand it. He just told me I have to do it. And maybe along the way you'll get some understanding as to why. You know, I don't understand why it is in the Old Testament. Instruments could be used, but we don't use them in the New Testament. I know that God's commanded to be that way, and I'm going to follow it. Uh, I understand that there's many religious orders today that separate the congregation from the young and old. And uh, others are authorized in their churches to teach the young folks. That's not how God has established it. And I'm not trying to be unkind to those folks who practice that. That's just not the way the Word of God commands. We're all to assemble in one place. Uh, I'm thankful the Bible tells us that they were in one accord in one place there in Acts chapter 2. Uh, Whether there was children or whether there was elderly people, the 120 disciples, when they met, they met in one accord. That means they were in agreement together, but they also were in one place. You didn't have infants over here in this place, teenagers in this place, middle-aged folks here, and the elderly here. They were all together in one place because that's how God had commanded worship to take place. And so that's how we, as uh, New Testament believers in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's how we worship. We worship together in one place. And I hope we're all in one accord this morning. That means we're in agreement. Uh, I trust that you and I agree on the doctrine of election. I trust we agree on the doctrine of God's sovereign power. I trust we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who came into this world uh, through the womb of a virgin named Mary, I trust that we believe that he truly lived here on this earth for 33 and a half years. And then he died on the cross as the propitiation for our sins. And God received the offering that Jesus made to him. And because of the one offering of the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I are perfected forever, as Paul says in Hebrews. He said he has perfected forever them that are sanctified, them that were set apart when God elected us before the world began. I hope you believe as we preached yesterday about the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ into heaven. And I really hope you believe with me that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back the last day. This world will be finished and he's going to take us all to be with him in glory. It's essential that we're in accord on these things. It's essential that you and I as we assemble this morning, we are in one accord about the way that we worship. Could you imagine the confusion if you believed in a completely different form of worship than me? Uh, There would be mass confusion here this morning. But thankfully, I trust we're all together about those things. Anyway, in the Old Testament, God had a command and a pattern for worship. And again, while I may not understand everything about it, it's still my duty to try to read and understand the best that I can. So anyway, here in Exodus chapter 29, again, we find that two rams were to be taken. One One was burnt as a burnt offering to the Lord. This other one, his blood was taken, and once again, Aaron's ear, his right thumb, and his right big toe were anointed, as were his sons. And that consecrated them to the priesthood. Uh, That showed that God had marked them for this office. But why is it that God will mark their ear, their thumb, and their toe? Well, I'll just go ahead and lay it out, and then we'll try to come back and address each one. Because as servants of the Lord Jesus, and by the way... In the New Testament age, you and I are made kings and priests to God, and you and I, we need to have our ear consecrated, we need to have our hands consecrated, and we need to have our feet consecrated, and I believe that's the picture that's given here. In other words, we got to be careful what we hear, we got to be careful what we do, and we need to be careful where we go. I believe that's exactly what God is teaching uh, Aaron and his sons by this practice. Their ears were anointed, their hands were anointed, their feet were anointed. And you and I, as kings and priests to God, need to be careful about what we hear, we need to be careful about what we do, and we're to be careful about where we go. And when I use the word careful there, I don't mean we've got to be anxious about it. I mean we need to be thoughtful and mindful of the things we hear, do, say, and where we are. Uh, there are places the child of God has no business being There's activities we have no business doing. And there's things that are said in this world we have no business hearing. Uh, There's things we just simply ought to stay away from, and your life will be far happier if you'll do so. So here in Exodus chapter 29, once again, the right ear, the right thumb, and the great toe of the right foot has been ordered by God through Moses that that was to be anointed in the priest's life. Leviticus 8, it's done. Then you have the leper, if he's cleansed, it was done for him. And not only are you and I kings and priests of God, but in the Bible, leprosy is a picture of sin. And every child of God is born of the Spirit of God. You're now a cleansed leper. You're a leper that's been cleansed by the Spirit of Almighty God. And now your ear, your hand, and your feet have been consecrated by God. Literally, no. Obviously, it's our heart that's changed in regeneration. However, uh, the inner man ought to guide what we hear, what we say, what we do, and where we go. Uh, That ought to impact our lives. The gospel ought to be that which directs us each and every day. Now, in Mark, the fourth chapter, we'll start there. We find the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says this a number of times He says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, you're going to find that expression in the New Testament a number of times He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. You say, well, almost anybody who's born in this world has ears, and most people born in this world not only have ears but the ability to hear. That's not the kind of ears or hearing the Lord Jesus is talking about. The kind of hearing he's talking about is having spiritual ears. There are people that may be deaf in this world, but they're still able to hear the voice of the Son of God. They may not be able to hear my voice, but they'll hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a dead alien sinner. A person who's void of the Spirit of God in their lives. They may have natural ears, but they cannot hear the things of the Spirit of God. You say, well, they'll hear. it will not impact them like it should impact the child of God. They do not have the ability to receive the things of the Spirit of God. First Corinthians chapter 2 makes that very clear. He lets us know that the things of the Spirit, which would be the gospel... He says they are, uh, uh, they're not naturally discerned. They're not naturally understood. Uh, they're foolishness to the natural man. But for you and I who are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, they're delightful things to us. They're encouraging things to us. So first of all, Jesus says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now later in this same gospel, the Lord will say, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he says, take heed what you hear. <laughs> take heed what you hear. Now, in Luke's account, he'll say, take heed how you hear. So that tells me I'm to take heed, I'm going to be careful, I'm to beware what I hear and how I hear it. We'll say, well, what do you mean what I hear? Well, a lot of folks, you know, want to gossip. A lot of folks want to tell you things about other folks that I don't need to know. Uh, there's things I just don't need to hear about. C.H. Uh, Spurgeon had a good practice, and i thinking about implementing it. I read about this here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, when somebody would come to uh, uh, Mr. Spurgeon uh, to uh, bring gossip to him, for those who don't know, uh, Spurgeon was a, a Calvinist preacher over uh, land in, in London, England, and pastored a church with thousands of members. And so somebody would bring gossip to him. He said, Well, I tell you what, uh, I don't have a very good memory, <laughs> and I see so many people if you would write that down, what it is that you've just said about so-and-so and and sign your name to it so I can remember what it is that was said and who it was that said it. He said not one person was willing to write down the gossip they were bringing out of Mr. Spurgeon. I I think that's pretty good advice, don't you? Uh, If somebody brings you something that is trying to destroy the character of somebody else, just ask them to write it down and sign their name. I guarantee you that will put a stop uh, to their willingness to gossip at least with you. Well, the Lord says, take heed what you hear. Uh, so I ought to be careful, first of all, about what I hear. That tells me, and I don't care if it's Fox News or CNN, as Brother Ron said, uh, it, it is wise to keep abreast of what's going on in the world. Uh, however, that doesn't mean you have to be immersed in what's going on in the things of this world. I used to watch Fox News from morning till night. I'd have it on all day long. Now, that doesn't mean I just sit there all day long, but I'd have it in the background. And uh, my blood pressure just go up. I get so frustrated, so irritated about things going on in this nation. You know, I don't, I don't even have Fox News anymore. I quit paying the cable bill. We stream television, so I don't have to deal with commercials, and I don't see news anymore. I like him. I read it on my phone in the morning. Uh, I scroll by, see a few headlines. If it piques my interest, I read a little bit of it, and I just move on. And I don't even return to the news anymore that day. You know what I have found? My life is a lot more joyful just simply not listening to what's going on. I learned they want me all amped up all the time. Why? So that I'll keep coming back listening more. Why? Because they're selling commercial advertisement to a marketing company so that I hopefully will go down and buy things. So if I fire All they're trying to do is keep me constantly stirred up so hopefully I'll watch their commercial ads and then go down and purchase whatever they're advertising. Well, when you realize that it doesn't matter if you're liberal, conservative, just tune it out and don't listen to it anymore. Uh, again, it's wise to know what's going on, but you don't have to be immersed in it. Jesus said, "Take heed what you hear." He also lets us know where to take heed how we hear. You know, somebody can bring something to you in a sincere way, and you take it the wrong way. You know, some people are very easily offended. Uh, Some people, as you know the saying, wear their heart on their shirt sleeve. Well, you know, if I'm taking heed how I hear, and the Bible tells me that charity, love, thinketh no evil. If somebody brings something to me and I get offended by it, maybe I need to step back and say, you know what, I know so and so real well. I know they love the Lord. I know they love me. They didn't mean it that way. Uh, That's how I ought to react to it. Now, I realize there's there's only one way to take it. I realize that. But a lot of the things that maybe offend us, if we were careful how we heard it, that would go away. If we just say, you know what, the Bible tells me that love, charity, thinketh no evil, then I'm just going to think the best and know that they didn't really mean to hurt my feelings. That wasn't their design. That wasn't their goal. And so I'm just going to be careful how I hear. In other words, I'm going to try to have my ears anointed by the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we find in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, a very interesting experience happens in uh, the life of the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter is in the city of Joppa, and he's standing in a man named Simon the Tanner's house. And the Bible says that was by the seaside or seashore, and there he is dwelling with Simon for a little while. Now, he's dwelling there because in the chapter before, there was a lady named Tabitha, also called Dorcas, who had passed away. And he was there by the grace of God to restore her or raise her back to life. Well, he's still there. And there's a man by the name of Cornelius in the city of Caesarea, and uh, the Lord comes to him. This uh, Gentile soldier, the Bible says he was a centurion, uh, that means he was a Roman soldier in charge of a hundred soldiers, uh, he was making his, uh, doing his daily routine of praying to God. The Bible says he prayed to God always. The Bible lets us know that he was a devout man. The Bible also lets us know he gave alms to the people, and the Bible says he feared God. Now, he did all these things before he ever heard the gospel preached. So he feared God, he prayed to God, he was devout, and he gave alms to the people. That means private giving to the poor. Uh, A lot of people are very public in their giving. They want people to see their giving. This man knew that he was supposed to give and help the poor, but he was to do so privately and not make a big show about it. Well, he does all of that before he ever heard the gospel. Well, how did he know to do that? Uh, Because the Lord Jesus Christ had already anointed his heart and given him divine life. This man's already born of the spirit of God. But this man is raised up in Roman uh, paganism or Roman polytheism, meaning worshiping many gods. He's doing many things right, but he needs to know the gospel so that he can understand how to worship God the right way. And that's what the gospel is really all about. It's so that you and I will know how to worship God the right way. It's in our nature when we're born of the Spirit of God to worship. So the gospel is here to tell us how to do it right. Uh, So here we find that uh, uh, Cornelius is praying to God, and an angel comes to him. He says that his prayers... And his uh, devoutness had come up before God as a memorial. God remembered him, in other words. he says, you're to send to Joppa, to one Simon the Tanner's house for a man named Simon Peter. And so he does. He sends three men. Well, Peter's on the housetop, and it's about uh, dinner time, which that's noon. (laughs) I don't know how y'all are here at Bethel. I'm still from the country. Dinner's at noon. Supper's around six. Uh, For many people, dinner's at 6. That's not me. Dinner's at noon, supper's at 6. So it's about dinner time. That means it was noon time. And here comes Peter onto the housetop to pray. And the Bible says he was very hungry. So here's this man very hungry, and they're preparing a meal downstairs, and he's on the housetop. And while he's there on the housetop, there's a vision that he sees. And what it is is there's a sheet let down from heaven knit at the four corners. Almost imagine a hot air balloon upside down, if you will. And inside that was all manner of unclean beasts. Everything that God commanded a Jew in Leviticus they couldn't eat was all wrapped up in what uh, God let down from heaven. And he let it down, and there was a voice from heaven telling Peter, Rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered into my mouth. Now, first of all, don't ever tell God no. If God tells you to do something, do it. I love what Mary said there at the marriage of Canaan and Galilee uh, when there was uh, no wine left. Uh, she told the disciples, she said, Whatsoever he saith unto you do it. I'll tell you what, if you don't understand why God's telling you to do something, that's not all that material. What is material is to do what God has told you to do. Now he may explain the why later. There's things my parents told me to do. I didn't understand. I understood this. If I didn't do it, there was going to be some consequences. And generally that meant a razor strap to my backside. So I just did for the most part, what they told me to do. Every once in a while, I would test the theory to see if I could get away with it, and I didn't get away with it. But anyway, the same is true of God. Don't ever think that you're gonna pull one over God's eyes. I don't think that you're ever gonna get away with doing wrong. God holds us to account for the things that we do wrong in this life. Anyway, uh, Peter says, not so, Lord. No, he just says to the Lord, no, I'm not gonna do it. Three times, that sheet's let down from heaven. And then the Lord tells him, What God hath cleansed, call not thou common or unclean. And a few moments later, there were three men at the door knocking, and the Lord lets him know that he's to go with them. Peter later would say, God has showed me that I'm not to call any man common or unclean. Peter got the lesson. You know what? Peter was about to go preach to Gentiles, which to Peter as a Jew were unclean, and God was letting him know if I've cleansed them, they're not unclean, you're to go. And so the apostle Peter went. I bring all this to your attention because in Acts chapter 10, verse 33, when they get down to the house of Cornelius, I love what Cornelius does. He sends three men up to get Peter. And while he's sending those men, you know what he's doing? He's very busy. He doesn't just sit around saying, well, I'll just wait till Peter gets here. He gets very active. You know, from Monday to Saturday, you ought to be very active about things in the house of God. Say, well, church is just on Sunday. I understand I think you all meet on Wednesday night some and Sunday evening, but uh, there's a lot for you to do from Tuesday Monday uh, morning till the next Sunday. Number one, you ought to be praying for the whole church. You ought to be praying for Brother Ronald. Uh, you ought to be praying that the gospel go forth, that people hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and the gospel impact uh, the lives of God's people. But also another thing you ought to be very busy about is asking your friends and your near kinsmen, your family, to come to you to, with you to the house of God. That's exactly what Cornelius does. Because when the apostle Peter gets down there, it's not just Cornelius in that house. That house was full. Uh, You know, this house ought to be full this morning. There's a lot of people in Nashville, I believe, that would enjoy and benefit from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of the reason the house of God across the nation is not full, I believe it just has to be because I'm not as busy as I ought to be Monday through Saturday doing what Cornelius did. See, Cornelius had this attitude. God told me to send for Peter, and Peter's going to tell me what I ought to do. And whatever it is that God is going to tell Peter to tell me is good for me, and if it's good for me, it's good for my family, and it's good for my friends. And that ought to be our attitude. If it's good for me, it's good for my friends, and it's good for my family. And so I'm going to encourage them and invite them out of the house of God. And that's what Cornelius does. And I love what he says. He says to Peter, he says, immediately after the Lord came, he said, I sent to thee and thou hast well done that thou art come. Uh, Cornelius understood it was good, Peter, that you did what God told you to do. He says, Now therefore, are we all here present before God? I wish I could say that at Little Union. I wish that I could get up some Sunday morning and say, We are all here present. I've been pastor there two weeks ago. Marked eleven years, and in eleven years and two weeks of pastor, now maybe it happened. To, well, no, it didn't happen today because I'm here and I'm a member there. <laughs> in eleven years and two weeks, we've not had a single Sunday where we were all there. Not one time in my experience, pastoring the church there, have we all been there. You know, you would think by accident it might happen occasionally, but it didn't. Ha- it hadn't happened yet in 11 years. And I keep that. one of these days, I'm still hopeful that we'll all be there. Thank God heaven won't be that way. When we get to heaven, we can say the Lord Jesus Christ, we're all here. Uh, uh, thank God we won't mess up our attendance when it comes to heaven. Uh, but anyway, here, Cornelius says, we are all here present. <laughs> you know, you can be here and not be present. <laughs> uh, you can be here and be tuned out. <laughs> Uh, he says, not only are we all here, but we're present. That means uh, uh, that we're in uh, anticipating this. We've been praying for this. And now we're ready to be attended." Notice what he goes on to say. We're all here present before God. <laughs> that's another thing that's key when we come to the house of God. We didn't understand that we're here before God. Uh, you know a lot of people will call me up before Sunday let me know they won't be there and give me all their reasons and all that I've asked them quit doing that just let me be surprised when I get there I said uh, when I keep getting call after call and text after text who won't be here I start to wonder well who will be there and so I finally I said just don't tell me no more when I get there Sunday morning I'll be surprised and then I'll just call you and find out why but it's almost like if they call the preacher ahead of time and let him know he won't be there, they can check that off and say, well, I got my permission slip signed, and now I can miss church. <laughs> Some people, put, But you know what? You're not coming here for the preacher. You're not coming here for the other saints. You're coming here to present yourself before God. You're to present your bodies to God, a living sacrifice, according to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Anyway, he says, now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. You know, he just said, Peter, we want you to preach whatever God has told you to preach. If that means you're going to preach the doctrines of grace, preach the doctrines of grace. If that means you're going to preach a sermon that tells me how I'm supposed to live, you preach on how I'm supposed to live. If that means God has told you to preach on my financial obligations to the house of God, then you preach on the financial obligations that I have to the house of God. You know, there's some things I like to hear preached, but there's a lot of things I need to hear preached. I may not like them, but I need them. And in fact, if I don't like it, that means I need it even more. uh, So that hopefully I can get to like the things that I need. Uh, there's some things that my wife feeds me that I don't necessarily like, but I know that I need it. And so the best thing I could do is just learn to like it because I know that I need it. Well, the same is true about the things in the Word of God. There's some things I don't necessarily like to hear, but I need to hear it. So here he says, I want you to preach whatever it is that God has commanded. You know what he just said? He says, I've got ears to hear, and I'm careful what I hear, and I'm also going to be careful how I hear it. I'm going to be careful how I hear it. If God's commanded it, then I'm going to be careful how I'm going to hear it. And so the apostle, of course, preached and many were baptized. A lot more could be said about hearing, but I will say this very quickly. The apostle Paul says in Hebrews chapter 2, he says, We ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. The gospel is a benefit to you so long as you remember it. The apostle Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says the gospel's benefit, and it will save us if we keep it in memory. The gospel has a saving aspect, not to get you from hell to heaven, but it sure make your life more heavenly while you're here. And so the gospel is very important, but it's only as good as your memory is. And for some of that, that's a, a, a real question mark, even myself. He says, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So remember, our ears, when we were born of the Spirit of God, have been anointed. Uh, We ought to be careful what we hear, how we hear it, be grateful to hear it, ask the Lord to give us more that we can hear. Now, we see that his right thumb, I know time is quickly passing away. Let me try to speed up. The right thumb was also anointed, indicating the activity of the priest of God. That tells me that what I do is also important. What I hear is important, and what I do is also important before God. We find that the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 8, he says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, doing what? Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Uh, You know what, if I'm going to pray to God according to that verse, I'm supposed to have holy hands. That means my activity is supposed to be in line with the teachings of God. If I want God to hear my prayers, and I certainly do, I need him to hear my prayers. I need him uh, to reach out and intervene in my life. I need him to bless me each and every day that I live. Well, according to this verse, one of the ways that my prayers are going to be answered is that I lift up holy hands before God. In other words, when I pray to God, when he sees my hand, hopefully he sees that my activity has been in line with the teachings of the word of God. I fall short in that, and I know you fall short in that, and I beg for his mercy and thank God he gives it. But we ought to be intentional in our activity to try to serve the living God in a way that brings honor to his name. He says in James chapter four, verse eight, he says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. You want to be near to God? (laughs) You want God near to you? I certainly do. I want to feel his nearness. I especially want to feel it tomorrow morning when I get on an airplane. I'm not, real, I'm not one that really likes to fly. I do it out of necessity, not out of enjoyment. And when I get on that plane, I want to feel the Lord very near. But I also want to feel him near when I'm driving down the highway. It's a very dangerous thing. I want to feel him near all the time. Well, this tells me if I want to feel God near, I've got to first draw near to him. Now, God doesn't move. God is settled where he is. He's established in his throne. And the times that I've felt, learned in my life that I wasn't feeling the Lord, you know what I found? I had left the Lord. The Lord didn't leave me. You know, when the Lord Jesus Christ was 12 years of age, confounding the doctors and the lawyers, and his parents lost him, uh, it wasn't his fault. They left him. He was right where he started. And they went on a day's journey before they realized that he wasn't there. And first of all, they supposed he was with the family. And then they supposed he was with the crowd. You know, there's a lot of folks in this world go to church saying, well, he's got to be where the family goes. Uh, Since my family goes here and has gone there forever, that's got to be where Jesus is. Well, Jesus wasn't with the family that day. Uh, Some folks think, well, Jesus got to be where the biggest crowd is. Well, there were some big crowds we saw on television last night watching several sports games, and I don't think Jesus was in the middle of those sports games Uh, uh, I don't think Jesus cares if LSU wins or Tennessee wins. I don't think Jesus is very concerned about that. I know some of us get real concerned about it. The Lord Jesus don't. <laughs> uh, and just because there are thousands and thousands of people there to watch that game between Alabama and LSU, that doesn't mean that the Lord was there. They weren't there to worship the Lord. They were there to worship a ball game. <laughs> and, uh, and there's a lot of people in this world that are in large groups this morning worshiping Jesus, trying to worship Jesus, and they think he's there just because there's a big crowd there. You know, I've been in churches where there wasn't more than about four or five people, but the Lord was there because they were trying to worship him in spirit and in truth. So don't assume just because that's where your family goes and that's where there's a big crowd, that's where Jesus is. Because that's not where Jesus was there in the Gospel of Luke. We find that three days later they found Jesus where they left him. So they come back to where they started and they find you. So if you don't feel near to God, you've walked away from him. He didn't walk away from you. So here James says, draw an eye to God, he'll draw an eye to you. He says, then cleanse your hands. What does that mean? Go in and wash your hands. Of course, we've heard a lot about that over the last couple of years, have we not? I mean, all, I don't know how bad, my hands got so chapped in March, April, May of 2020 from all the washing I did of my hands. And I'm not criticizing that. In fact, the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, if we did what they've suggested every flu season, wash our hands really good, and if you have a fever, stay home. <laughs> you know, that's just common sense. Don't go somewhere if you got a fever and wash your hands on a regular basis. But that's not what James is talking about here. He's not saying make sure you got Perel in your pocket so that you can wash your hands. What he means, clean, your, clean the way you live is what he's saying. Clean what you do. In other words, live a life that's honorable to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Psalm 24, this question is asked. Who shall ascend into the holy hill of the Lord, who shall stand in the holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Do you want to stand in the holy hill and in the uh, place of the Lord? (laughs) I sure do. Well, according to this verse, I need to have clean hands and a pure heart. That means I need my hands consecrated. I'm born of the Spirit of God. Now I need to use the Spirit of God to consecrate the things that I do. Lastly, he says the right toe, the great toe of the right foot was also to be uh, sprinkled or dipped with blood. We find in Psalm 1, David says, blessed is the man that walketh. Not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. In other words, this individual is careful who he walks with and the counsel he walks in. Bro. Ronald mentioned that I call him frequently, and that's true. I do call him for advice. I understand that he's been in the ministry a lot longer than me because he's a lot older than me, even though he don't want to admit it. And I like to remind him of it every opportunity I get. He thinks he's still like 30-something years old, but I know better than that. But I understand he's got a lot more experience than I've got. And when I first went to Little Union, I didn't know the congregation there as well as he did. And it was a great blessing to me to be able to call him and ask about specific personalities and specific issues and how I could best address them so things didn't get stirred up out of control. Now, after 11 years of pastoring there, I don't have to do that anymore. I've learned the personalities there where I pastored, but I still call him for general counsel and general. Back then, it was very specific things that I asked for. Now, it's more general, but I'm still very grateful. In other words, I wanna walk in the counsel of the godly. I need counsel. I know that in the multitude of counselors, there is safety, the Bible says. You just gotta be careful what kind of counseling you're getting. Uh, Dr. Phil is not the best counseling you can get I promise you that The Lord Jesus Christ is your best counselor The Bible says in Isaiah 9 That's one of his names His counselor Uh, And the wisest counsel you'll ever find is right here in the Word of God. I believe every one of you have a King James Bible. If you don't see me, I'll make sure you get one. And it's the best counsel you can ever have. And then followed by that is to come to the house of God to hear a true man of God preach the gospel of the grace of God in the Spirit of God. You can't have no better counsel than reading the Word of God and then coming to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and hear the man of God preach. So again he says, bless the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Notice the progression. First they walk, then they stand, then they sit. And I've watched that in the lives of many people. They start walking to the counsel of the ungodly. And before long I see them standing, hanging out with them. I don't know if that's a term <laughs> folks use anymore, hanging out. Brother Larry's concerned that I'm too concerned about my age. I realize I'm 42 and I don't know if I'm old or young. I don't, You know, the Bible doesn't talk about in between. It's either young or old, and I don't know which is what. So I don't really know where to put myself, what category to be in. Some days I feel young, some days I don't. But anyway, I don't know if the term hanging out is still used by young folks. You know, we're just going to hang out. I have I've observed this. A lot of hanging out usually gets a lot of people hung up on things they shouldn't be doing. Uh, so he says we're to be careful where we walk, And who we stand with, who we hang out with before long because we'll be sitting in the seat of the scornful. Notice they first walk, then they stand, then they sit. I need to be careful where I walk, who I hang out with, and who I sit with. Now, I know the Lord Jesus, he ate with publicans and sinners, but he didn't leave them like they were. When the Lord went among publicans and sinners, it was to change their lives. And I want my life changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope my life will help be a motivation for others to live a godly life as well. We find that uh, uh, in Genesis chapter 5, a man by the name of Enoch had a wonderful testimony. In fact, Hebrews 11 said he had this testimony, that he pleased God. You know, when you read Genesis chapter 5, you're going to read about uh, about 10 individuals. And those 10 individuals, almost all of them lived very long lives, 600 years to 969 years, except one. His name is Enoch. And the Bible says he was not, for God took him. Read the verse Genesis chapter 5, verse 23. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God. Again, in. in the, song, the first psalm, we're not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Well, Enoch certainly didn't do that. He walked to where? He walked with God. The Bible says all the days of Enoch were 365 years. You know, he's the youngest man mentioned in Genesis chapter 5. You say, well, if he walked with God, why did he have the shortest life? It says he was not, for God took him. And that's all it says about it. Uh, that would leave me fascinated well god left people fascinated for thousands of years because it's not until hebrews chapter 11 that god explains it further when it says that by faith enoch was translated that he should not see death here he was living in a time that not too long before the flood in noah's day and here was a very wicked time and in the midst of all that wickedness i tell you what you and i live in a very wicked time Uh, To try to walk with God, you're going to walk against the grain. Uh, You're going to go upstream. It's going to be difficult at times. You're going to do things that aren't popular that a lot of people may make fun of. And the day may come, you may be persecuted for it. If you're going to walk with God, though, you're going to have to walk against the majority. Uh, You're going to have to do things that the majority in this world won't do and don't do. Uh, You're going to have to uh, walk in a way uh, that will make you look foolish to this world, but it will please God. And I tell you what, I can be like the Apostle Paul. my first answer, no man stood with me, but the Lord stood with me. If I've got the Lord on my side, that's all I need. Now, but I believe this. If I've got the Lord with me, I'm going to have a few others with me because I trust there's always going to be some who are walking with the Lord along with me. Anyway, the Bible says, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. You know what God said? Here's Enoch. He had this testimony. He pleased God. God was so happy with him as he saw Enoch walking with him in a very wicked time. God says, I'm going to do this. I love Enoch so much and Enoch loves me so much that I'm just going to reach down there and I'm just going to take him out of this world so he don't have to put up with this wickedness no more. And there's times that's exactly what I wish God would do with me. Uh, This world at times seems so foreign to me that I wish God would just come down and take me out of it. Well, one of these days he's going to. But Enoch, he walked with God. He had this testimony that he pleased God. Here was a man that for 365, if a man can walk with God for 365 years, I certainly can walk with him 365 days a year, and so can you. With the grace and help of God, you can. All the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not. For God took him. Let's talk about one more walking, and then we'll wrap this up. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. Isaiah says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings. Thank God that God has called ministers that are willing to go here and there and preach the good news of the the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful we have two meetings a year at Little Union, one in February and one in July, and I'm thankful that men come and preach the gospel for us. I'm thankful that men make the effort that it takes. And sometimes it seems like a great effort. And then I read experiences like men in the past had to go through to go preach the gospel. I remember reading about the lot. I can't remember now which minister it was. I don't think it was Wilson Thompson. But it was one back in his day that uh, he was so happy when all of a sudden somebody told him he could put his mule in their barn and so instead of having walked thirty-something miles to catch a train uh, to go preach, he just had to walk seven miles because now he had a place to uh, park his uh, horse for a few days till he come back. You know, uh, Brother Ron mentioned some of the headache I had getting on a plane, and a lot of times when I want to get frustrated about all that, I just think back to what uh, uh, men in the past had to go through to preach the gospel. I think about what the Apostle Paul had to go through in Acts chapter 27 to go to Rome to preach the gospel. And there he was in a ship tossed by the sea in a storm called Uroclodon. And it says that for 14 days they saw neither sun, moon, nor stars. Imagine a trip like that. I wouldn't want to be on a boat like that. Not at all. I don't like planes because they can get bumpy. But every time I get one that's a little bumpy, I think, well, at least it's not a 14-day trip that I can't even see sun, moon, or stars. And so in my experience, I think, well, I have nothing to complain about. I have a very comfortable automobile to drive to the house of God. I have uh, ways to travel that are so comfortable and so fast. really have no room to complain. But then I step back and I see men who make the effort to preach the gospel. And no wonder Isaiah says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet. Why the feet? Because that's what brings that man to the place where the people of God are. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings that publisheth peace. You know what a publisher does? Simply just reports what is. You know, the past few years, we've noticed a lot of reporters and publishers that want to make news instead of just report and publish the news. I'm not up here today to make a new uh, report of news. I'm not here to tell you something different. I'm here just to publish what already is. I'm here to publish and report established facts, and that is the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, the person uh, that is uh, riding upon the mountains, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publishes peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, that's you, thy God reigneth. You know, there's nothing better that I can think of than a man of God to publish peace and to tell God's people that in spite of all the chaos and all the conflict in this world, your God reigns. I can't think of a better message than to just remember that our God reigns. So there we find that Aaron and his sons, they were consecrated by blood to be careful of the things they heard, the things they did, and the places they go. And you and I, as kings and priests to God who have been born to the Spirit of God, uh, we're to use the Spirit of God to be careful what and how we hear and what we do and where we go so that the things we hear, the things we do, and the places we go bring honor to the one who's called us, the Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless us.